Our hearts this morning, our Father, are full. We've been singing of your grace, this overwhelming, superabundant, abounding, overflowing grace that you have lavished on us. Forty years that you have poured out your kindness on us. Who are we that we might demand or expect such grace? And yet such grace has been given lavishly. And we pause this morning to recognize you and to recognize your provision and to recognize your kindness and to recognize your mercy, to recognize the infinite power of God that has changed, is changing, and will change us. Not just for our good, but to your glory. What a God you are. As we give thanks this morning, we ask that you would now guide us, give us wisdom and clarity and boldness from this word, your word, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Tremendous amount of work has gone into preparing for the 40th anniversary of Grace Bible Church. Hours and hours in planning and interviewing and designing logos and making phone calls and and ordering food and shirts and other things and setting up tables and chairs and then getting the reservation count and setting up more tables and more chairs and and mowing and setting up a parking lot in the back and and mowing and making sure everything is is fit and tidy for the day and and you got to ask the question is it worth the effort is there value in remembering the past or or have we simply wasted a tremendous amount of resources in both time and finances. In a completely different context, at the dedication of the World War II Memorial, President George H.W. Bush said this, 2004, They gave the best years of their lives to the greatest mission their country ever accepted. They faced the most extreme danger, which took some and spared others for reasons known only to God. And whatever they advanced or touched, or where, wherever they advanced or touched ground, they are remembered for their goodness and their decency. On this Memorial Day weekend, the graves will be visited and decorated with flowers and flags. America will not forget them. At this place, at this memorial, we acknowledge a debt of long standing to an entire generation of Americans those who died, those who fought and worked and grieved and went on. They saved our country and thereby saved the liberty of mankind. We likewise are gathered this morning to remember the past, to remember the sacrifices, to remember the work of believers in this church body, and to remember supremely the faithfulness of God to this church body. We gather this morning to remember work and to remember ministry and to remember successes and to remember failures. And through it all, we remember the work of our faithful God to use weak and imperfect people to accomplish His divine and infinite and eternal purposes. 
Whatever thoughts you leave with this morning, we want you to leave with gratitude to God of His work of grace in you through this church body and to find your faith and your trust in Him bolstered and strengthened as you reflect back on His kindness to us. As we reflect on 40 years of ministry at Grace Bible Church, not everything has always been easy. Though, in all honesty, many things have been easy and and many things have been tremendously joyful. But these 40 years, whether hard things or easy things, have led us to great gratitude. And just like we might ask at Thanksgiving, today we want to ask and answer the question, why are we thankful or, or for what are we thankful? The Apostle Paul in his prayer at the beginning of Colossians 1 tells us, we give thanks to God for His great works of grace in our church body. We give thanks to God for manifold demonstrations of His ongoing and continual grace to us. These, these verses, in fact, afford us five opportunities to give thanks for five works of God's particular grace towards us. Five, five reasons to give thanks. Five ways to give thanks for His work of grace. Notice the first one beginning in verses 3 and 4. We give thanks to God for His gift of faith. Now I want you to notice as we begin looking at verses 3 to 8 that the object of His thanksgiving is God. He says in verse 3, we give thanks to God. Now if culturally you ask someone if they are thankful, invariably they say, yes, I get... I frankly get really frustrated every Thanksgiving time and if I have a football game on or I'm reading an article or something and you, and you find people saying, I, I'm so thankful for, and they never say to, as if, as if these things just mystically and magically happen in their lives and there's no source for what they have received. But we are not those who wonder, how did I get what I have gotten? We know that everything we have comes from God. And so all of our gratitude is oriented towards God and to God. We give thanks to God. And notice what he says in verse 4. We give thanks particularly to God for your faith in Christ Jesus. And notice that as he talks about the faith of the believers in Colossae, that he says, since we heard of your faith. So, so he only knew of their faith by reputation. So Paul had never been to Colossae yet. And so everything he knew came from other sources. We think probably it came from Epaphras. We'll talk about him in verse 7. So probably Epaphras, after having been in Colossae, had come back and given a report of what is going on in the Colossian church. But whatever it was or however it was that the Apostle Paul heard of the Colossian church, there's one thing that stood out, first of all and preeminently, and that was their faith in Christ. They are driven to Christ and they trust in Christ. They have been redeemed by Christ. They have been saved by Christ. And notice also he says in verse 2, not only do you have faith in Christ, but he writes this letter to the saints and faithful brethren. So not only have they received grace by means of faith in their lives, but they are faithful to the faith that they have received. So they have been given the gift of salvation and they have remained faithful in that gift of salvation. They're faithful to that faith. They're persisting in that faith. 
Paul tells us one reason to give thanks is for faith. And this morning, as, as we give thanks at Grace Bible Church, let's give thanks for faith. Let, let, let's give thanks for God's specific work of faith in our lives. We give thanks for the gospel that has saved us. I, I could hardly sing this morning. As we hear the songs of redemption, and I think of you, and we're singing, and I'm seeing pictures of your faces in my mind, and I'm seeing your response of faith and how you have been faithful to the faith, and that faith has transformed and redeemed you. Does that, does that not just grip you that God has saved you? One of my very favorite things to do is to take membership interviews and baptism interviews because in those interviews, I hear the story of your faith and how God has worked in your life to bring you to faith. Oh, friends, that ought to, that ought to drive us to great gratitude. A number of years ago, many years ago, one of our brothers came and said, um, I need to be baptized. I've not been baptized yet. And so I kind of talked him through that process. We met. He wrote his testimony. We talked um, at the day, day or two before the baptism, and he said, um, I, need to, I need to come. Can I, can I come and read you my, my testimony? I said, that'd be great. So we met up in my office. It took him 20 minutes to read his testimony. I said, oh, that's a, that's a great testimony, but um, we need to shorten it just a little bit. The baptism water will get cold while you're giving it. And so we got in the baptistry that morning and, and I called him down and he started to read and he read a sentence and he wept. And he read another sentence and he wept again. And then he read a half a sentence and he wept and I knew we were in trouble. Oh, there wasn't a dry eye in the place. And those of you who are here know who I'm talking about and you know that day of such profound gratitude that it brings a man to his knees with weeping and tears that Christ would save him. Oh, friends, those, those things ought to drive us to great gratitude. We give, we give thanks for the gospel that has saved us. We, we give thanks for God empowering us to believe the gospel because we would never believe it on our own. That's, that's what Romans is all about, isn't it? Without, without Christ, working in our lives, we'd never be saved. And when we look at a redeemed body of believers, we say, this is amazing grace that God has worked. We give thanks for taking, for the privilege of taking the gospel to others and, and how God is, is transforming what has historically been a weakness in this church body and now He's transforming that and changing it. And so, on a very regular basis, I'm hearing stories about people who are, who are talking in conversation with, with friends and neighbors and family members about the gospel and being bold and, and being proactive and being intentional in sharing the gospel. And we give thanks for that. We give thanks for the privilege of seeing the gospel change unbelievers in our counseling ministry. And we think about all those unbelievers that God brings to us. We, we don't even have to go out into the highways and byways and compel them to come in. They just come. And they sit 
in our offices and, and our counselors are burdened. And, I, and, and repeatedly, over and over and over, I've heard them say, I just keep coming back to the gospel. I've, I've met with this person six times. I've met with this person ten times. And, and every single time I'm talking about the gospel because I'm just not quite sure he or she understands it yet. Friends, this is transformative. This is, this is what faith in Christ does. It, it transforms not only the way we live, but how we talk about the gospel to others. And we give thanks. We give thanks that you don't want to give yourself without giving the gospel. We're not interested in just in serving people. We're interested in serving people, but we're interested in serving people to the end that they hear the gospel. So John Piper has written in his book, God is the Gospel. Giving ourselves without giving God looks loving to the world, but it is not. We are a poor substitute for God. We are not the nobler because we die for them if our hearts have no longing that our death lead them to God. And we are thankful that that you have such a faith in you that your desire is for the gospel to be transformative and changing in their lives. We give thanks for the gospel and the faith that has been implanted in you by Christ Because we have nothing without that faith. And with that faith, we have everything. We give thanks to God for His gift of faith. Many many of you have come from other churches that are not redeemed churches. Oh friend, give thanks this morning that you're in a church that holds high faith in Christ and is a redeemed body of believers. We give thanks for five works of grace, to God for His gift of faith. Secondly, to God for His gift of love. Notice what else Paul says at the end of verse 4. We have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints. And, and so the Colossian church was known as a church where, where love was showered on those who were saints. Now, you might think, if you're not reading very carefully or thinking very carefully, you think, oh, well, they expressed love to only those who were being perfectly sanctified in Christ, who were only only very much like Jesus Christ, all the really mature people. Those are the ones that received the love. It was the saints and the saintly kind of people that received love. No, the saints here is simply a term to reflect the fact that they have been made holy by God. They, or rather, they have been declared holy by God through Jesus Christ. So, so Christ's blood and atoning work has been poured out on them, and God looks at them as if they did everything that Jesus did, but they haven't done everything that Jesus has done. And God has, God has saved them, though they, and is in the process of saving them, though they are not yet fully saved, and they are Imperfect, at times very imperfect people. And yet, the Colossian church is known as a church where love is poured out on them. This has always been the mark of the church. So Jesus says in John thirteen thirty five, By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. What, what is a testimony to the church, to the world, is when the church loves people that aren't very lovable. And, 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 and this is what was happening in the Colossian church. John MacArthur has written, A true child of God will love fellow believers. A true child loves 
other believers in Jesus Christ. This is, this is what the church is known for. And that kind of love may not be a mushy sentimentalism, but it will be a commitment to intentionally and purposefully minister to and graciously uphold and care for others. What does that kind of love look like at Grace Bible Church? Or does it exist at Grace Bible Church? Friends, I stand before you this morning and say we give thanks that we love one another. One of the consistent testimonies that we receive when when people come into this church body is they say, uh, the first day I walked in these doors, I walked in and I could could just feel the the love of Christ and, and I was embraced by people and welcomed by people. I was almost overwhelmed and swamped by people just just wanting to, to relate to me and, and interact with me and encourage me. I've just never felt so loved as I feel loved here. That's a consistent kind of testimony. It's not always the testimony. In fact, someone recently told me, um, she said, I know what everybody always says about how loved they are. She said, that's not been our experience. We haven't been loved in, in that way. We've not been embraced. I mean, people have been friendly, but... I wouldn't say that we feel embraced. We're committed to being here, but we haven't been loved in a way that everybody talks about, to, to which Paul's words to the Thessalonians are an exhortation to us. Now, as to the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write to you, Paul says in chapter 4, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another, for indeed you do practice it toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia, but we urge you, brothers, to excel still more. And so we love. I think that's our characteristic. That's been that way for a very long time. But we need to excel still more. Sometimes church doesn't seem like a very loving place to everyone because we sin against each other. Just like in our own homes, we will sin against each other. And we say things that are untimely and ungracious and even mean-spirited. It's suggested by the saying that Sally Martin taught me years ago. See if this resonates with you. To live above with the saints I love. Oh, wouldn't that be glory? But to live below with the saints I know? That's another story. It happens, doesn't it? You've sinned against one another. You've been sinned against by me. And what's going to happen in that moment? In love, are you going to reconcile? Or are you going to walk away? And the consistent testimony for which I'm deeply thankful is that when sin happens in this church body, it is confessed. And when that sin is confessed, it is forgiven. I have a thousand stories like that. I don't want to break confidences, so I can't share them. part of what makes me so grateful for this place. I can share one story. 18 months ago, I think, or thereabouts, probably one of my favorite elder meetings, one I look back on with more gratitude than I think any other one. We met in the fellowship hall where we normally meet, went through our meeting, went through the agenda. At the end, we prayed, gave thanks. And as the men got up, Two men went to two other men immediately and confessed 
something that had happened in the meeting and asked for forgiveness. It was a word that was said in an untimely way or inappropriately or perhaps a little too strongly. Honestly, I don't even remember what the issues were. I just remember two men going to two other men because there was a concern that sin had happened and they wanted reconciliation. What was interesting to me is neither of the ones who had been sinned against perceived it as that. But immediately forgiveness was granted and those five guys walked out, not literally, but arm in arm, loving each other. And friends, that's, that's the way the church body ought to be, that when, when we sin against one another, we confess and we forgive. And, and that is the consistent pattern here, and I'm deeply thankful for that. We give thanks for a love that confesses. We give love for, thanks for a love that forgives. We give thanks for a love that graciously exhorts others when sin is seen. A number of years ago, many years ago now, a brother came to me and he said, um, Hey, a week or so ago, I overheard your conversation with someone. He identified the person and he said, I think, I think you said something in that conversation that created an offense. Would you be willing to go to that person and see if it was an offense? And would you be willing to confess? I remembered the conversation. I remembered what I said. I didn't think that it was a sin but initially, but okay, I'm happy to do that. And I went to that person and I said, um, remember that conversation? Yes, I sure do. And at that point I knew I was in trouble. <laughs> I said... Um, I think I said this, I identified what I said. Did that create an offense with you? And she said, it, it, it did. I've really struggled since that day. And I said, would you please forgive me? And I identified, I, I played out the way you would want a confession to play out. I said, will you forgive me? And she said, absolutely, I will forgive you. I'll never forget that day. And we have enjoyed sweet fellowship since then. And I'm grateful for that brother who came to me, not just on that day, but that has been a faithful, loving brother that has consistently come to me. I'm his pastor, but we're brothers in Christ. And he has come to me as a brother in Christ on many occasions and said, hey, I think I see something. Can you do some self-examination? That's a faithful brother that graciously exhorts when sin is seen. We give thanks for love that prefers one another. The Apostle Paul writes in Romans chapter 12, verse 10, he says, Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. I also often caution there, that doesn't mean the kind of love that my brother and I had for each other when we were growing up. It's a different kind of love than that. It's a brotherly love that embraces, defends. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. And we, we have opinions about everything. I, I, I've said many, many times, this is an independent Bible church. And by that I mean we are independent-minded. Which means we all have an opinion about everything. We, um, we have opinions about music and preaching styles and the temperature in the sanctuary, which last hour was frigid, and some of you are probably warm because I'm starting to get warm, and if I'm warm, everybody's got to be hot. 
And we've got opinions about that, and we've got opinions about clothing and food at fellowship meals and the color and style of chairs in the sanctuary and schooling choices and a host of other things. And I would say I have almost never seen any of that been an issue in the body here. It's just rare. The people have just said, I love you, and I'm willing to defer my preference to minister to you. That is the way it should be. We give thanks for love. We give thanks for love exemplified in homes. Isn't it a joy to know that when your children go to someone else's home that, that they will be shown a model of what biblical love is like and so that they will see how a husband and a wife are supposed to love each other and nurture each other, how parents love children. They, they see that kind of model. I'm grateful that my children were raised in this context where it wasn't just Regine and I who were training them, but a church was showing them this is what love looks like. We give thanks to God for this kind of love that is non-discriminatory. And by that I simply mean this. If we, if we love each other only because of our similarities, so we come from the same socioeconomic background and we come with the same um, job situation, we come in the same age group. I remember somebody years ago saying, well, he's not my age. I'm thinking, well, he looks like your age. He says, um, I'm 65 and he's 64. I'm thinking, Really? If the only reason that I love you is because we're both 65, we make the same salary and we do the same job, then brothers, that is not the gospel that's transformed our relationship. The gospel has changed us when we come from tremendously different economic backgrounds. We come from very different societal kinds of backgrounds. We do really different kinds of jobs and we love each other anyway. That's Christ in you. And that's what's in, in this church body. And we give thanks for that. We give thanks to God for His gift of hope. Notice verse 5. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel. Our hope is waiting for us in heaven. It is not just a... I, I sincerely desire for it to happen. It's not just that heaven is, is a wish and a wanting. It is a security. Peter tells us in his first letter that, that it is kept and reserved. Your salvation is kept and reserved in heaven for you. It's, it's God who's keeping it. And because God is keeping it, it's our confidence and our security. And, and we, we serve in a church body that is looking there and not holding on here. And, and we serve in a ministry context where the American church is looking for its best life now. And the American church saying, we, we need to grab everything that we can now and hold on to it because now is what's important. And, and this church body has said, no, now is not important. There is what is important. And so we are surrounded by people and we give thanks for people who are investing their retirements well, serving the church body, not wanting to waste their retirements and, and saying in so many words, well, what would I do with my time? Play golf? 
No, they're, they're investing their retirements and pouring it into people. We give thanks for people who are investing their pre-retirement years well, serving in the church body, not wanting to waste their lives. And when, when you have multiple children and they're all under the age of five and, and you're busy, it's easy to say, look, I, I don't have time for that. And we've got a, a church full of people like that, that when they're that kind of busy, they say, what's one more thing? And they plow ahead. Oh, friend, that's someone who has their hope not set here, but there. And it's transformed them. We give thanks for the testimony of those who have suffered well and died well. You look back 40 years, and there are people who were here 40 years ago who are not here. They've graduated to glory. And over the years, as we have served, we have... We have walked alongside people who were in the process of graduating to glory. And they've, they've suffered well. They've died well because of the hope of heaven. If you weren't here and you haven't seen it or you haven't seen it in a while, you need to jump on our website sometime this week and see again the testimony of David and Rita Langston. who sat in those chairs two or three years ago as Rita was dying of of non-smoker's lung cancer. And she died well. We, we, We need that encouragement and that reminder that our hope isn't here. Our hope is where we're headed. And we need to live that way. We give thanks for those who possess financial resources but are not possessed by financial resources. This is one of the most loving, gracious, kind, benevolent churches I've ever seen. When I came as pastor, Greg Warren pulled me aside one day and said, "Um, I need you to know the finances before you say yes and come. And he said, "Um, here's the current level of giving, and here's what's in the bank, and here's what our budget is with your salary... And if if the current giving trends the way it's been going, in three months we won't be able to pay you. That's a great thanks for the encouragement. <laughs> never missed a meal. It was never an issue. God always provided everything we've needed. God has always provided. Because this is not a people that grasps onto what is here. It's not a people that's living for the now. It's a people that's living for Christ and for the hope of glory. We give thanks to God for His gift of hope that has changed the way we live. We give thanks to God for His gift of fruit. Notice verse 6, the gospel which has come to you just as in all the world. In other words, everywhere in the world that the gospel comes, this is what it does. It is constantly bearing fruit and increasing, even it has, as it has been doing in you since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God and truth. In other words, the day that you understood the grace of God, the day you responded in faith, that grace began to change and transform you and you were different and that, that is the way the gospel always 
acts all over the world. It is constantly bearing fruit. And not just bearing fruit, but, but increasing. So, so in one season you get this crop, and then the next season there's a greater bumper crop, and the next season an even greater crop. It's, it's continually happening and continually growing. And this is the purpose of the gospel. The purpose of the gospel is to bear fruit not only so that we are saved from God's wrath, but so that we are saved from the power of sin and so that God transforms and changes our lives. And friend, if you are not a believer this morning in Jesus Christ, this is what the gospel is. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not just the story of Christ's life. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not just... The, the greatness of Christ's teaching. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not that Jesus is a great example. The gospel of Jesus Christ is that He died on the cross to pay the penalty of your sin and redeem you so that you could live for Him, so that, so that your life could be changed. He wants to transform you. That is His power. And in transforming you, He will produce fruit in you so that you will live differently. And friend, if you are not a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, on the authority of the Word of God, I commend you and I compel you and I command you, you must repent and you must turn towards Christ in faith. You must believe in Him and let Him be trans- do His transforming work in your life. And friends, this is what this body of believers is like. It is, it is a body of believers where we are constantly seeing God maturing and growing and producing fruit. And the fruit is genuine. It's real and it's healthy and it's strong. And we don't have time to unpack it, but maybe just take a few minutes this afternoon and read through Galatians 5, 22 and 23, the fruit of the Spirit. What is the fruit that the Spirit produces in us? And then just reflect on people that you know in this church body and how, if you've been here a while, how God has progressively changed them in that area. Not every church bears good fruit. Every church bears fruit. But not every church bears good fruit. And what we see here. And what we have seen for 40 years is the fruit of God working through salvation to change and transform people. Where, do, where does that kind of sanctification come from? I think often about 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, where Paul says in verse 13, For this reason we also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, before, for what it really is, the Word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. And this, is, this has been the testimony of Grace Bible Church, where you not only want the Word of God, you are constantly leaning on us and saying, bring us the Word of God. We need this Word. We, we want this Word to change and transform us. And it has done that very thing. We give thanks to God for His gift of fruit. Finally, we give thanks to God for His gift of ministry. Notice verses 7 and 8. Just as you learned it from Epaphras speaking about the gospel, you learned it from Epaphras. Epaphras came, spoke the gospel, spoke about faith, spoke about Christ. 
Who is Epaphras? He is our beloved fellow bondservant who is a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf. He is, he is with us. He is, he is our fellow bondservant. So we are together with him. So Paul and the others with Paul and the Colossian church, all of them are bonded together with Epaphras. And he says he is a bondservant. Better translation, he is a slave. He is a slave of Jesus Christ. He is enslaved to Christ. Everything he does comes out of his slavery and submission to Jesus Christ. And out of that slavery, Paul says he is a faithful servant of Christ. He is enslaved to Christ and he serves Christ's people. And we give thanks for the ministry and the service that God has produced in us, even through as he produced it through Epaphras. We give thanks for all the ministry that God has produced in us. And in noting the ministry that God has produced in us, we are not exalting in each other, but we are exalting in God who has worked through us. We agree with Jonathan Edwards. God will employ not only holy and glorious angels, but feeble, frail, sinful worms in the dust of this work of ministry who need redemption themselves. And friends, that is the story of Grace Bible Church. It is a story of what Christ can do through worms who are enslaved to Christ. The worm doesn't get the glory. Christ gets the glory. So what has God accomplished through us? We give thanks for 30 years of Awana ministry. About the first 10 years of those Menace of, of those Awana years in this room, which looked very different back then. In this room, men would show up every Tuesday night and tape the entire Awana circle down on the floor. And, and then, and then on Wednesday, after Awana's over, then, then the tape gets torn up and the pews get mat- moved back in so we can worship on Sunday. And the next Tuesday, same thing, move the pews out, take the circle down. Ten years that that was done. And we give thanks for two dozen years of vacation Bible school. We give thanks for a dozen years of biblical counseling and discipleship training conferences. Hundreds of people who have you, you, whom you have embraced, who have been trained to disciple and counsel with the Scriptures. And we give thanks for countless Bible studies and men's and women's retreats and thousands of hours training children and adults in Sunday school. We give thanks for untold numbers of discipleship training relationships. We give thanks for, for a group of elders who meet every week to pray for you. I, I try to tabulate it in my mind this, this week. I think that the elders have gathered, not individually, but corporately, that the group of elders has gathered together to pray for you somewhere between 2,000 and 3,000 hours. Well, friends, that's, that's their service of you and that is their love of you. We give thanks for missionaries who have been sent, like David Gibson, who left again on Friday and is now in Australia, perhaps even streaming. He said he was going to try and stream and watch the worship service, so perhaps he's there, sent out by us for the sake of the gospel. And the workmen's, how many times have they been to Cambodia serving Christ there? And we give thanks for all of the mission trips that have been taken to Costa Rica on multiple occasions and Papua New Guinea and Cambodia and Mexico about ten times and Uganda and Russia on multiple occasions and Lebanon and Israel. Friends, you're people who not only love the gospel, but you want it sent out around the world. 
And we give thanks for that. We give thanks for resources that have been generously given to missions. It has never been hard to raise funds for missions. You've heard the word missions. You've heard gospel and globe. And you've said, where can I give? In fact, we were, we were reproved on one occasion by someone saying, you're, you're taking from us the opportunity to give. Don't just pay for it out of, out of the general fund. Let us give to, a, to it above and beyond. Okay, okay, okay. We give thanks for meals that have been provided and houses cleaned and people moved and hospital visits made. I have given up trying to be the first man on board at the hospital. I can't do it. I can't get there. I get the report, somebody's in the hospital, I get in my car and I go there and I find that somebody's already been there and gone. Not just one, but typically three, four, five people. Why do people do that? Why do people serve? Because they, they love the flock. You care well for the flock. You make phone calls, you text, send texts, you write cards, you serve Awana meals, you clean the church, you make repairs. In the early years, I would sometimes ask someone, hey, such, such and such happened. Who took care of that? Oh, I'd get a smile. The church angel did that. Just somebody, somebody just showed up. Mowing the property, serving at conferences, serving on the safety team, greeting on and on and on. Friends, the work of the ministry is sometimes unnoticed. It is often hard and it is almost always costly. And you serve well. I give thanks. We give thanks for a church body that serves Christ well. It is a testimony that you consider yourselves slaves of Christ. And it is a testimony to the work of Christ in you. We have talked a lot this morning about gratitude. The one thing we haven't done yet is express our gratitude. I'm going to ask if you would bow with me so that we might express our gratitude to God and His amazing grace. Our Father, as we conclude our worship this morning, we give thanks to You because You are God. Even as we were called to worship this morning, We are reminded that we worship you because you and you alone are God. We do not worship ourselves and we do not worship any other created being because there is no one that is God but you. And so it is right to worship you. It is right to give you thanks. This morning we give you thanks for faith. We give you thanks for the faith that has redeemed us individually and we give you thanks for a faith that has redeemed this church body. We give you thanks for the privilege of carrying the message of of redemption and salvation to those who are lost and dying. We give you thanks that, that those of us who have faith are grieved over those who do not have faith. Our hearts are broken for those who have not yet trusted You. We give You thanks for hearts that have been sensitized to the need of the Gospel. We give You thanks for love. We know that we have no capacity to love on our own, but the only means by which we can love is that we have been first loved by You. So we give You thanks for Your love for us. 
And we give you thanks for the countless numbers of ways that your love has been manifested in this church body. We give you thanks for hope. We give you thanks for the hope that that we are secure and certain with you in glory. We give you thanks for the hope that that we don't need to hold on to what is here and that we can let it go with liberality and generosity and because we have an eternal weight of glory that awaits us. We give you thanks, our Father, for the fruitfulness of ministry and the fruitfulness of the gospel and the fruitfulness of sanctification that is working in people's lives in this church body. We have seen people change. We have seen people's countenances, actions, attitudes, service change. This is your work. This is your fruit. This is the Spirit of Christ working in us. We give you thanks. We give you thanks for the privilege of ministry. We... We don't discount that it has been costly for us at times, but when we put it in the balance scale that is considered by you, it is not costly. For we give up that which is light and temporal, and we receive that which is weighty and eternal. And we thank you for a body of believers that believes that and serves in that way. We thank You, Father, for how You have manifested Your glory through the service of our people. We ask, Father, that You might continue to fill us, even as Paul prayed for the Colossians, with the knowledge of You and with Your Spirit so that we might continue in faithfulness to work in a manner worthy of the Christ who has saved us. And in so doing, we give thanks for the past and we look forward in dependence to the future so that you are glorified and you are revealed as a God who is trustworthy, gracious, and good. We pray these things in the name of Christ and for His glory. Amen.